I'm Maite. I'm Justin. I'm Ward. I'm Tim. And, and this, this is Comicsverse. Hi, listeners. I wanted to take this time to let you know you can help support Comics First by shopping over at audible.com slash Comicsverse. You get a free audio book with your free trial. It's totally worth it. Again, the link is audio.com slash Comicsverse. In addition to Audible, you can find links to Comixology and Amazon on our website to purchase your copy of Kingdom Come. In 1996, DC got together two comic book icons, Mark Wade and Alex Ross, then created the Eisner Award-winning limited series that is Kingdom Come. In this dystopian future, the next generation of superheroes aren't exactly heroes, and the heroes we know and love have mostly abandoned their role as savior to the world. So before we get started, don't forget to check out comicsfirst.com for more podcasts, interviews, articles, and videos, and let us not waste time. I think even before we delve into the story that I should mention, every time I turn the page, I was constantly putting Trump on the face of Lex Luthor. I was constantly imagining who the different people in the 90s and the aughts and now would be for Batman and Superman and all these different people. And the first kind of question I wanted to go into is, for each person here, what were you guys thinking of when you were reading this? Well, for me, it's, and maybe this is because my mindset is a bit more like superhero oriented. Maybe I don't think about the real world enough. But when I was reading this, I really got the vibe that this is very much a commentary on what comic books could become. Because this was kind of prior to like when DC and comic books in general, like made things darker and grittier in terms of their narrative. Like this was the first, like, or one of the earliest real, like big, like dark and serious books. But I also feel like it's a very much aware of like if superheroes become too far away from what they have been and what they are, they're not going to be they're not going to be good as heroes, but they're also not going to be enjoyable as characters and like uh, entertaining figures. And I think the way they portrayed that is surprisingly like relevant today. So you saw it as in addition to a comment on the world, a commentary also on the comics industry. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay, cool. I think a lot of aspects of it reminded me of Watchmen and just these heroes who used to be so venerated turned into figures of despair and tragedy. And it's very much a superhero story that you wouldn't expect to be a superhero story. And I feel like it's such an interesting inversion of the genre and such a um, unique way of telling a story of Superman in such a, in a state where he's not Superman and where he gave up on the world and in a place that you would never expect Superman to be in. So I think that was definitely one of the draws to the story and what made it so unique. Yeah, I mean, at the time, that commentary about it being sort of the future of the comic industry was pretty direct. Not so much where we are now, but as the the sort of image characters, you know, where everyone was death blood and that kind of thing. Um, that was one of the things that Mark Wade was directly concerned with when Kingdom Come came out. Um, in terms of real world stuff, or actually, you know, to just speak to the Watchmen piece for a second, uh, this is another one of those stories where I feel like everybody learned the wrong lessons from it. You know, it's a great story on its own, and then they took those lessons and were like, oh, uh, Black, Shield Super uh, Black Shield Superman should be in everything, and uh, we should definitely bring in Mangog. People want that. Uh, so it was that kind of thing where it was... Um, they missed why it was popular and then just tried to cannibalize elements of it. And, you know, like the Watchmen comparison, everyone thought, Oh, you, we want, um, you know, fucked up mean superheroes. So that's what we're going to give them as opposed to the point was how far these heroes had fallen in Watchmen. So uh, I think we see for the next 20 years after Kingdom Come comes out, DC trying to, um, 
emulate that success, but not really understanding what made it successful in the first place. When you said that people took the wrong lessons from this limited series, like they did from Watchmen. And I think in the case of Watchmen, you're talking about the violence, which in that story completely fit in. When you talk about who took the wrong lesson, is it us, the audience? Is it the comics industry? Who are you referring to? I mean, specifically, I was referring to the comics industry. Um, You know, what a lot of people loved about Kingdom Come was the hopefulness at the end. You know, Superman returns to his rightful place as a hero of the earth. Um, You know, Batman rejoins. I don't know if they call it the Justice. I can't remember off the top of my head. But, you know, what we would think of as the Justice League. Wonder Woman returns to the world of man. Like, that's what was exciting about the end. And that, you know, these three heroes who apparently had spent years avoiding and hating each other we're back together again. You know, that's what people love. People didn't necessarily love the part where they nuked, uh, you know, a city in Kansas. Um, but then you look at what happened at DC afterwards, you know, like I said, the black shield Superman shows up so many times, even if it's not directly the kingdom come guy, you know, they do, uh, what is it? Our world's at war. He wears that costume for months afterwards. And so the lesson they seemed to get from it was like, wasn't it cool when he wore a black shield? (laughs) Well, that's not really what people were into about that. I I thought it was important to bring up, or I think it's important to bring up what was going on in the comics industry at this time, because I did, when I looked at the date, think about it. But then until you brought it up, or until you expanded on it, Tim, I didn't really remember that. Like the comics industry was basically unsure if it was going to survive until the next year is my understanding at this point. Is that correct? Mm. And it was like, it was after the speculation bubble had burst. And uh, I can tell you from personal experience, my uncle Mike, who spent uh, almost $3,000 on new mutants, 87, the comic is now probably worth $3. First Um, appearance of cable. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. You're the only one who knows that. Yes. And I only had the second printing and it was worth all that much when he bought it, or maybe it wasn't worth all that much, but he definitely paid that much. Justin, good news. Post Deadpool two. It's now worth exactly $4 and 50 cents. I'm so excited. (laughs) The funny thing is that like, no, he went all over. I think he like, you know, back in the, this is like, you know, before all this, um, you know, being able to order stuff. I mean, I think he drove like three states over, found it somewhere. And the funny thing is every time I go to a Comic-Con, which isn't very often, every time I see New Mutants, it's the first issue that I see. And I can't believe that he spent so many years trying to find it. But I think that just goes to show, you know, how far people would go for comics before, right before this moment in time, because they thought they would be worth so much money. And then all of a sudden the well, image happens, all the kind, the exodus happens, all the sort of best, or who we thought were the best. I mean, I'm speaking from, you know, whatever, 12-year-old Justin perspective, but who I thought at the time were the best uh, artists and writers uh, were leaving to start this company, and then all of a sudden the comics aren't very good, and it happened way before that. There were some terminal illnesses that some of the stories had, mostly about the cannibalization of certain aspects of comics like this, Tim. The comic book industry was in such a, you know, such a, I guess, negative state. You have to think the writers and artists going into the story, what they expected to come out of it. Did they expect audiences to like it? Did they think that, you know, might as well write a story that's so unlike so many stories that have come before, just see what happens, you know, like what did they think going into it? What intention did they have in regard to the success of the story? Mm. I do want to say, I feel like, if we're making comparisons to things like Watchmen or like a lot of other series that became popular, um, I, I think the interesting thing about Kingdom Come is that by comparison, it's not as well known as a lot of other these big others. Other, yeah. 
as a lot of these other big series like we're still talking about Watchmen today and that's partially because of things like Doomsday Clock and whatever they're doing with that TV show that's coming out but I feel like Kingdom Come even though it's like it's like oh it's it's one of these awards and it's a really well regarded comic but I'm like but a lot of people who I know who are like into comics either casually or not like super as big into it as some of us are they have never heard of it before and it's because it's an Elseworld story that's just kind of it's kind of like out there um but I also wanted to say, uh, just in regards to the Watchmen comparison, because I think that's a super interesting... Like, I had never thought of that until uh, Maite brought it up, and I think that's a really interesting thing to look at. I don't know if if or what people did take from Kingdom Come that might not have been the correct thing, but I think a big part of the difference between the reaction people had to Watchmen versus this is that unlike in, Wa- in, a, unlike in Watchmen, the heroes, the main heroes at least in Kingdom Come, are not also kind of bad guys like they are making mistakes but they're not actively terrible like rorschach is like the 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 icon of Watchmen, and he's an awful human being and he has like an epic heroic death at the end and i remember seeing the the movie and like when i was still in my like my teenager years and i don't remember half the horrible things he said until i like rewatched it as an adult i was like oh my god he is not who i thought he was it's like it just flew past me somehow i don't know um so i think that's kind of what Maybe that's also maybe why the story isn't as uh, talked about as much is because I feel like when you, uh, the question Justin asked earlier about the um, whether it was the audience taking the long re- wrong lesson or the uh, company taking the wrong re- lesson, I feel like with Watchmen it was the audience and then the company tried to react to that and then that's the company taking the long, wrong lesson from Kingdom Come based on that. I think that's fair. And also to be fair with DC, um, what you do get coming out of this is a lot of uh, stories that you know, to be fair, there are several creators that kind of do get the message. Grant Morrison in particular, you know, JLA launches shortly after this. Um, Mark Wade was already on Flash, but you have that kind of story in Flash where um, this is sort of the lowest point in terms of grim and gritty. When we start to see books that are a bit brighter, a bit f- more fun after this. Um, actually, you know, now as as I'm sort of talking this out, we don't really see the kingdom come love until about five or six years later with like the ascension of Jeff Johns at the company where you start to see, like I said, Mangog and the black shield and um, Jeff Loeb is also a big proponent of some of the iconography of kingdom come in the immediate wake of kingdom come. You actually did have a brightening um, from creators like Wade, uh, oddly enough, Mark Miller, who you'd never expect now uh, Grant Morrison, so uh, at least initially, the first burst was more on message. It's just sort of people like us who read the story when they were in their formative years loved it so much that they really started to lace it into the stories when they were more in charge. I just wanted to dive in for a second how this is connected to Watchmen in people's heads. From my perspective, it's that the premise of both of them is about aging superheroes that that's a big part of it and also that the the political tone and the fact that they are both frankly great gorgeous works of art from you know every word that's written to every panel i think is beautiful even ones that i didn't understand where you would see wonder woman's neck or or something like that and and, you know i would stop and look at for a few minutes so what what kind of similarities did you guys see between this and watchmen i mean i'm not in terms of similarities but i think one of the biggest differences and i i touched on this for a second ago and i did a kind of a poor job of explaining it but i think like the biggest key difference is that like this is about like you're talking like heroes of the past in the future kind of but with Watchmen, I feel like the heroes, by and large, were not good people from the start. Um, 
you know it's like it's like they they are regarded as heroes and like as you go through the story you like you're learning about them you don't know a whole lot about them like you're like oh the comedian's dead oh he was a superhero that's bad but then you learn more about the comedian and you're like oh he was a horrible person i won't miss him at all but then it's like you know if superman died in kingdom come uh, spoilers he doesn't but you know if he did they'd be like oh no superman he he was always good you know it's like they the, the main i think key difference is that in kingdom come it's not the reputations of the main heroes who are ruined it's the idea of hero heroism that's ruined well with watchmen it's more like the like the heroism is preserved through a couple characters but by and large it doesn't quite work the same way ward brought up earlier that kingdom come doesn't seem to have as much uh, resonance outside of comics as Watchmen does. And I think part of that is because Watchmen was far more interested in comics as uh, meta commentary as literature in terms of like structure and things like that. Whereas Kingdom Come is far more interested in commentary on comics as their evolution. You know, it's more so from an insider's perspective, from people like us who have read comics for a while it really clicks in and we get it right away. There's a far higher bar for somebody who's never read comics to connect with kingdom come the same way though. Whereas Watchmen, if you're a fan of, you know, if you were an English major, you can spot a lot of the techniques that uh, Moore is using. And specifically in regards to like wonder woman, uh, killing Von Bach. I mean, first off, I think it's generally like, I think it is like a thing that they is treated as like a problem. And I think the idea at the end of it is that, like, she's not going to do it again based on, like, what we see with her reconciling with the Amazons and also by Magog being there and, like, like hitting a guy up the side of the head for being disrespectful. I think the idea is that, like, that was the wrong choice to make because they do have the same capacity to change, even if they are little shits. You know, so, like, in the work itself, it's never directly addressed. So, but again, that opens a dialogue of what does that mean in regard to heroes or is it just you know, is it not that big of a deal or is it something that could cause repercussions later? It's in that way. Again, it's very much like Watchmen. We're left with this ending that on the surface is happy is not quite the right word, but like uh, there's hope for the world, you know, in Watchmen, it's, it appears that the peace is going to hold. And in kingdom come, it's that, you know, these heroes have recombined, but the lingering message is, you know, in Watchmen, it's, is that journal going to get read out loud? Does that mean it's going to derail what little piece we have? And in Kingdom Come, it is, you know, is the little bit of time that Superman, uh, Wonder Woman, and Batman have left on Earth, you know, is it going to be enough time to mold the next generation? Or are they going to make the same mistakes the moment that, uh, those three aren't around anymore? Well, fortunately, I'm pretty sure Wonder Woman's immortal and Superman's like, Kryptonian. So really, it's just what little time Batman has left on this earth. He's only going to be around as long as his spite will allow him. But Superman does age, right? Yeah, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's like confirmed that like by the time he dies, like he has like several lines of like Grinch and like Kryptonians apparently take forever to age oh. when they when they're all super powered. But the fact of the matter is, you know, Ward's right. They're going to, Wonder Woman, Superman, at least, will be around for a while. I guess the better question is, if they ever take a step back, what will the next generation do? Or is there even really going to be a next generation of heroes because of the damage done to this one? Yeah, so at the end of the story, we learned that Wonder Woman is pregnant. A child who was of Superman and Wonder Woman, I feel like inevitably is going to do something for the world, whether it's good or bad. So I think that's an interesting hint towards the future. I guess 
by the end of the story with Superman being back in the world and Wonder Woman being accepted by um, the Amazons once again, you have an idea that the child is going to do good things for the world, but at the same time, we don't exactly know that. He, we already see that happening. I believe in Gotham Academy, we see a similar thing happen. But in terms of the context of this story, what is the significance of you know the older generation becoming and committing to teaching the the new generation? Unlike with Marvel, superheroes having sidekicks is pretty common. Yeah, Batman has like a a whole, a whole host of orphans that live in his house. Um, but you know, Superman has Supergirl until I guess she becomes an adult Supergirl and just does her own thing. But wait, my question is, but isn't it for a very different reason though? Like, isn't the mentorship in this comic specifically a response to what happened? I guess theoretically you could have a sort of last Jedi scenario that we could come back to them 15 years later and, you know, one of them could have made a huge mistake. Um, but yeah. Superman's like standing over the like sleeping body of someone holding like his, like he's holding right, exactly. his laser beams in his eyes somehow, like um, looking over him. Yeah. They have more of a history with it. You know, even if you take out Supergirl, Superman has been an icon and led by example for years before he steps away and that kind of thing. So um, it doesn't feel like that part's as risky. You know, it's more how the younger generation takes the message. But I do think we have sort of three worthy teachers. We saw the younger generation like go totally ape shit, right? So what role does mentorship have to play here in specifically in the story? Yeah, I think a lot of it goes down to learning how to protect and maintain your responsibility. And it's interesting to think about the future of Superman and Wonder Woman's child, because as I said before, that child is inevitably going to have some sort of abilities where they're either going to use them for good or bad. So it's interesting to think with parents like Superman and Wonder Woman who will be mentoring their child, whether or not that child will have a decision, you know, like their own decision on whether or not they do want to embark on a career that, that their parents had. Because, um, you know, outside the context of the story, I'm thinking of Frank Miller's Master Race, where Superman and Wonder Woman's child sides with the bad guys. So um, it's, interesting, it's interesting to think about these mentors who have had these wonderful careers being superheroes. And I guess maybe I'm being negative about it, but wondering if because they were such, they were so good at what they did, whether or not they will actually be able to transfer that knowledge and that experience onto a, a younger generation. I think the story of like the first Robin is kind of a good like lead into like the mindset of this whole situation. Like his whole thing is like he's in a really shitty situation and Batman bails him out because he sees like a similarity. And then, you know, he's at first he's like, all right, shit, I'm Robin. I'm the boy wonder. This is awesome. And then after a while, as he grows up, he's kind of like, you know, questioning authority because like once you get to that teenage race, this is all you do. I want to get this really boring question out of the way first. Because I noticed the font, but I don't know if anyone else did. I liked how the font um, on the first pages of each issue, it almost seems like it was ripped out of a Bible or some sacred text. I mean, each and every page is just so immersive. Like, you don't feel like the panels are, you know, overcome by these, you know, bubbles of text. To me, it conjured up a lot of the same imagery that Maite got. I definitely saw something biblical but i also saw something that was kind of like a diary and from the main character who i thought was so interesting norman yeah i think a big part of that difference is just that like when we have because 
internal narration is a very common thing, especially in superhero comics. But because this is just a normal guy, it really does read like a like a journal. Like like, all right, so you know, dear diary, today I walked around with a ghost through Superman's house, and it was really weird. And which is like, if they were like the actual heroes, would just be like, well, today you know, I I dealt with this guy, and I don't know how I'm gonna beat him. And like like Norman's so Norman is so not concerned with himself ninety percent of the time. So I think that's what makes him both a good narrator, but also makes his perspective so like like what you're saying, like journal like. Yeah, it made it approachable and biblical at the same time and personal. Uh, and I thought that that was a difficult thing to do. So a shout out to Todd Klein, who is the letterer, who is absolutely fantastic and managed to somehow make the lettering biblical, approachable, and have this kind of diarist appeal to it as well. But can we now kind of broaden it to talk about Alex Ross's art in general and the psychological effect that his visuals have. I mean, obviously I'm going to throw out the word, the words Norman Rockwell. Uh, I think that that'll come up in a lot of responses right now, but I just wanted to open that up for discussion. I've seen like a lot of a fair amount of like Alex Ross's work. And he obviously has this like very gorgeous like style and that really fits like golden age designs and aesthetics. But what I feel like what's very different about this, like if you look at like some of the other series he's done, like Justice, which is where, you know, he get, draws the Justice League pretty frequently. So it's again, it's like the same characters, but like the look of it, this is so like, this is such a brightly visual book. If there's a dark scene, it's not like, like a black background. It's like they're in Kansas and everything's brown, but it's like, that's like the most desolate scenes is uh, when they're in Kansas again. And like, even like when they're in space and like there's, it's like, that's literally the blackness of space. It's like, there's so many beautiful visuals in that, that I didn't even notice. Alex Ross is one of those artists where each time he reads something that he has done work on, it's as though you're looking at it for the first time. You know, like I've read, I recently read a story that he did the art for. It was a Shazam story. And I was just looking through, I'm like, literally each page is just gorgeous, you know? And in Kingdom Come, I think one of my favorite images is when Norman first meets the Spectre. And he's just like looking above and the Spectre just comes out. It's amazing how much detail goes into it. And it's almost hard to describe how amazing his artwork is it's almost as though like our words aren't doing his work justice but i think for a story of this magnitude i think he was the perfect artist to employ because he he really does bring these heroes into our world and One of the things that, you know, subsequent to this, he kind of got dinged with was that uh, people said, you know, he had a sort of a static style or that you felt like he was just reproducing the same images over and over again. And I can't speak to that necessarily, but I know within the context of this book, he does sort of the artistic equivalent of code switching fairly often. You know, you have, um, obviously he has the pastoral images for Superman and he captures the older characters, but you also have this... Um, realization of these scary future heroes, you know, that are sort of based on, you know, your cables and your image characters and things like that. And it's all in Alex Ross's style. It's instantly identifiable as such. But uh, at least in this context, he doesn't feel static. He feels like he's adapting to the times and he's using slightly different techniques and so on to, to realize the images. So it doesn't just feel like everything is Norman Rockwell, like you said. You know, Superman definitely is that but that's on purpose, you know, that's the concept there. Uh, so regardless of how Alex Ross went after this, he clearly um, thought a lot about within the context of his style, how he could highlight every approach. 
first of all, can I also just say that from my perspective, if there were no words here, I think that this is so beautifully metaphorical. I don't know how I've ne- personally never seen Alex Ross do anything that I didn't like. I read some Captain America stuff he did, and I thought he was the perfect person to choose for that. So I'm really surprised to hear people describe his work as static. I think he's instantly recognizable, but I also personally, you know, I, I have I read everything he's ever drawn of course not but i'm you know surprised to to hear that from people but one thing i really enjoyed here in terms of the vibrancy of the colors and the kind of thick lines in terms of the depiction of people the outlines of their uh chins of their heads and and stuff like that do you think that the fact that this is a dystopian story and and the colors are so vibrant do you think that that's making a statement as well. I thought it was, but I was curious what you guys thought. Oh, 100%. Because, like, all, like, a lot, most dystopian stories, especially like later comic book dystopian stories, are so grim and depressing. And it's, it's like we were talking about, like, this has a very bittersweet ending with, like, a lot of the superheroes dying and, like, a huge explosion. Like, I saw the Blue Beetle's armor and that, like, charred amount of remains of skeletons. And I was like, no. It's just like, this is such a different story it's it's not just saying like the future is terrible and it sucks and that's the end of it like there's so many complex ideas at work here that the art had to represent that this is not a story i could have seen anyone other than him do this is literally i think the most iconic thing he's been involved in that like could not have been substituted is he saying in his art that look everything is really pretty and colorful and vibrant but beneath this veneer is complete utter shit sort of what we think was this better time uh, and the relics from that better time are they not the end of the world i read it more as it's still the dc universe you know at the end of the day there's something in the dna of the dc universe as opposed to say the marvel universe that um there is inherent brightness to it. I recently reread JLA Avengers, and part of the theme of that is um, the DC universe is more open to superheroes. They're more ready to accept them. They, I don't know, respect them more, however you want to phrase it. There's an inherent hopefulness that the Marvel universe doesn't necessarily have. And I think the colors speak to that in this book, that you know, it's sort of a visual indication that not all hope is lost, despite how bad things are. This is still the DC universe, and heroism can return here. That was always my interpretation. Does anyone want to add to that? Because I was going to go on to ask more questions about Superman now. My favorite topic. Ooh. Leave that in. All right, ready for Superman? Yes, um, always. <laughs> it's too quiet or else I, I thought I or else I welcome to my ASMR video you say you're welcome to my what did you say wait do you know what ASMR is I heard welcome is? to my ass that's what I thought you said too I thought you said welcome to the inside of my ASMR, ass ASMR guys yeah wait do, does everyone know what ASMR is Okay, so it's this some... I mean, I guess we can... Yeah, let's leave this in. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Why not? Mark. Let's educate yeah. the public. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's not just for the public. I want to make sure they know that Justin knows. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's like a video thing where like people will like speak rather softly into the mic, and it's like, supposed to help you sleep or sometimes turn you on. It depends on like what you're going there for. That's my experience anyways. The sleeping part. Yeah, it's it's supposed to be this frequency that at least certain people have a very positive reaction to. So if you talk real low and quiet oh. and slow, you can hear that little crackle. 
help. I'm gonna start like um having meetings with people and being like, hi everyone. If you just don't mind. <laughs> That's a very breathy version of ASMR. That might oh, not sorry. get you what you're looking <laughs> for. Is that too sexual? Okay, my bad. They're sailor. <laughs> I might be like, hi everyone. Um, for... I don't know what that is. <laughs> That's not ASMR. Okay, I can't. I can't do it. I, I like that you were like, we need to do a very conversational talk. Uh, tone for this one i think we're really capturing that here yeah, yeah i think a little <laughs> I have totally forgotten where we were by the way no me too okay wait i'm gonna talk about superman my question is really where do we find superman how would you describe where we find superman when he first when we first see him in the story and what happened to him i think an interesting aspect of like the first time we actually see him is that it's a big part of like we see him in a sense in his roots like he's he's in you know overalls and he's like doing farming things but he's doing it in the fortress of solitude like he's simultaneously going back to like his in a way childhood but also into his more human aspect of himself like he's distancing himself from superman the alien and the the hero but at the same time he's locking himself away from other people like he's denying himself the same humanity that makes superman the character that he is it it's a fascinating like like a way to introduce the character and I, and I especially think it speaks to that because I just thought of that right now when you asked that question. Like, wow. <laughs> when we find Superman, he's lost faith in his symbol. Um, I mean, you get that in his isolation. And I also think, I think Superman's also, it might be too dramatic to say, lost faith in the world because they put so much hope in Magog, um, a man that is the complete opposite of Superman. So... Yeah, so I think we find Superman, I think, totally displaced from his comfort zone. We usually see him so engaged with the world and um, humanity, and this in the beginning of the story, he's not. And he, I think um, him kind of setting up this whole simulation in the Fortress of Solitude as if he's on his farm is just a way to numb himself from his isolation and the person he used to be. So, I mean, of course, I think he could be distancing himself from Superman, but I think he's also just trying to, like, numb that. I'm blown away by the fact that the farm was in the Fortress of Solitude because I read this twice. And the um, sort of danger room um, mirage was such a good mirage that it fooled me because I read that she mentioned he was in the Fortress of Solitude twice and I didn't put it together. He was still there. I was like, this was like beyond me. I think he's in mourning still in a lot of ways, um, not just for the death of Lois, but certainly that, but also just for his grasp of the human condition. You know, he had thought he knew people. He thought he knew how people would act. And the fact that, um, you know, Joker gets killed and people don't react the way he expects. They rally around the figure that kills Joker. Uh, I think he is, like I said, mourning for that vision of humanity that he had that is irreconcilably altered in that moment. And the fact is, you know, humanity is who he thought it is, but it is also this other part. You know, it is kind and just, but it is also bloodthirsty. And uh, he had sort of either forgotten that or not allowed himself to see that for years. So he's, he's mourning for the new perspective as well. And that's what's interesting, because when I read it, um, obviously Lois Lane's death is going to have an impact on Superman, but it almost seemed as though the um, transfer of faith and humanity from Superman into Magog had more effect on him. Like that might be totally off, but just in the context of the story and how I interpreted it, it seemed as though the, the people almost rejecting Superman had more of an effect on him than losing Lois Lane. 
not to fully disagree, but I th- at least because we're talking about like interpretations, the way I see it is that Superman, other than like near the very end when he almost destroys the UN, never does anything un-Superman like in the entire story. Like Batman basically makes a police state. Wonder Woman kills a person and like gives up on the idea of peace. Like they're very much out of their element, but Superman never stops being Superman again up, up until the very end um, where he like almost loses it. But like I think the example of like him being there and like the turning away from humanity was simply because the right thing for him to do was to leave. Like because if he fought Magog and it was like insistent, no, my way is right, then then that doesn't make him much better than Magog. I mean, like obviously he was to a certain extent right, but like he can't prove that by brute force. That's not the correct way to do. It. Like it's like it's like a lot of like all these other like Superman goes dark or evil storylines about him. Like he is the one who has to be right, so he has to prove that through force. So him, like, it, people, the people are saying, I can't do this anymore, or, like, my way is not the right way, so I'm just going to go. I have, I'm no more used to them. So I don't think it's necessarily that, like, he was more hurt, although I'm sure he was hurt by that. I just feel like it's, it's, it's sort of like, you know, how, like, in all those, also mentioning them, uh, all those evil Superman stories that was kill Lois Lane first, and that's what makes him go evil. Yeah, nice try, guys. That didn't work here. <laughs> Still good guy. No, I actually agree with that because I mentioned that in the article I wrote last week about this story. And I think there's, again, there could be like numerous factors that go into his decision. And I think in the context of the story, the public may have thought that him turning away from Magog's challenge was a cowardly act. But again, it's you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Because if he had engaged with Magog, then like, like Ward said, he wouldn't have been any different if he had killed him. And I think the world, he needed space from humanity and had to wait until he was basically kind of called back to action i think mm-hmm. well yeah it's like it's the, well two things you know one's the peaceful transfer of power it's like he lost a presidential election like yeah he could get in there and punch the other guy in the face but then that's not the way it's supposed to be the other thing is he's always been big on just respecting humanity to find their own path he's not a god he's a hero and so the idea is that he helps you know it's Again, I keep coming back to Grant Morrison's JLA, but in the end of the first storyline, he says something, Superman says something to the effect of that they're there to help humanity when they fall down. And that I think is a good distillation of how he feels about people. And so when they tell him they don't want him around anymore, he sees no option but to respect their choice. You know, that uh, it would be wrong of him to to reject that notion or to ignore what they tell him because he's not a God. He is one of them. And if they tell him they don't want him around anymore, the right thing to do is not be around. Is anyone familiar with the legend from ancient Rome of Cincinnati? So this kind of reminded me of that because Cincinnati was a Roman general and Someone can write in and tell me if I'm remembering this wrong, but Cincinnati was a Roman general. And once he, the war was over, he went back to his latifundia, his kind of um, uh, farmland, and he went back to doing exactly what Clark Kent does, you know, growing crops and doing all that stuff. Um, at a point, the Romans get into another war and they go to Cincinnati and they say, hey, you know, we need you to be dictator. Uh, eventually, the role Julius Caesar has and tries and mentions the story many times as he attempts to do that. 
and he's like, you know, we need you to become dictator. We need one ruler right now. We need you to run all our armies. We need you to fight this war. And he's literally like carrying around crops, very similar to exactly the imagery that we find Superman in. No Americana, of course, but um, it looks very, very similar. It looked it, it, the image in my head was exactly what I first saw, um, at least when I first saw Superman in this. So Cincinnatus goes. He fights the war. He's dictator, and once the war is over, he immediately gives up, and he goes right back to being a farmer again. And I kind of feel like that's where we find Superman. It's like he already kind of fought his first war. It was time for him to go. Like a George Washington, who is often referred to as the American Cincinnati, he knew when to step down, and he stepped down. And again, you know, the call for him to take the charge comes again um so uh you know it's, it's funny i said it wasn't americana but one after i, I after i said that i remembered george washington being called the american cincinnatus and then i saw a connection with that too but do you guys think that superman got back in the game because of a need to do the right thing I mean, I think it, I mean, it's kind of tricky because on one hand, I think the main motivation is sort of like he's like, you could argue he's pushed to a point like we, we see him starting off and he's like going again back to like his roots, his childhood and like going into like a Kansas farm S situation. And then he comes out of that, like one of them shows up, he leaves, learns Kansas has been obliterated and now he's going back in the limelight because I think it is sort of like a sense of having to do the right thing. But it, prior, the reason he didn't go back and like he didn't like fight back against like the changing tide was because he thought fighting back against it would change. But now the thing that he was like concerned about has caused real damage and harm. Like obviously to the fact that it's personal, like amplifies it. But like, like how could he not respond when the people he caved into ultimately caused the actions that destroyed his home? Like, like especially like considering the fact that the guy came from a planet that was destroyed. Like there, that's good. There's something there, you know. There's a lot of things here. And then I was also going to ask about Superman is, and we kind of answered this, but we can kind of go into what we were talking about before, is what do you think his loss of, what do you think Superman's loss of faith in our society and culture is really about? I don't necessarily think Superman lost his faith in us. I think it's more, it's more like when, it's not like, it's not, I'm not mad. Who I'm did just, he lose his faith in? Uh, himself, mostly, I think. I think that's the key. I think it's like a parent when they're like, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. But the longer like he dealt with it, the more he had to like kind of at least convince himself that maybe he was not right. I think the specter says at one point that he lost faith in himself and that that was his biggest shortcoming is that he like had no idea um, how much of an impact, like he didn't understand how much of an impact he had on people and how inspiring he was. Exactly. Because I think that's the crux of the character. Like, if this was Marvel and it's like you're trying to do an analog, I think it's like, because obviously he's more similar to Captain America personality, but it's like someone's like Thor and it's like, oh, he lost faith in himself. But like, he's also a guy who literally has to see himself as a god because he's literally a deity. But Superman is just a guy from Kansas. Like, he's a guy from Kansas who can lift cars. But as far as he's concerned, he's just a guy from Kansas. Like, he's a, he is a, as human as you or I. In fact, more so because he probably gets around and moves his body more than I do. And can I say that's just the whole point of Cincinnati is that he doesn't see himself as a dictator. He sees himself just as a regular citizen. And he did what he feels any regular citizen would do, which is the best thing for himself and for his country. What I, what I kind of want to talk about is the kind of place where we find ourselves in the beginning of the story, even before Superman is introduced. And of course, after 
in what way is this about class warfare? Hmm. Uh, well, I mean, I don't think by this point in superhero history, however you want to phrase it, they care about us particularly at all. You know, I think the first generation of heroes or second, however you count, you know, Justice League versus Justice Society. But, you know, the heroes that we sort of come up with, um, they're directly doing it to benefit humanity. The next generation that we see depicted they don't seem to be motivated by saving people. You know, they're following the template of the previous generation. They fight supervillains, but that seems to be the purpose in and of itself. Can the same be said about American companies, American government, uh, you know, things that were began in the revolutionary era are some, you know, they're in the wrong hands are used for bad purposes. Like what is it? Um, de- deportations and Trump for comes to my mind. I mean, I was about to make a sarcastic ass comment, like I don't think the companies and the corporations, the blah blah blah, were ever on our side. But actually, the longer <laughs> I thought, like I, I took a second to think about it, and I was like, you know, at least in in idea, a lot of these things were intended to make our lives better. Like it's just that then at a certain point, either someone got a hold of it or it was just executed poorly. Like it's a very popular thing, and I one hundred percent understand why. But like just shitting on the idea of capitalism is a super big thing now, especially with the youth, uh, the youth of today. I'm 23. Um, it, but, and I totally get that. But at the same time, it's like capitalism isn't evil. It's just a, a system. And the system is being run by terrible people. Any system run by terrible people is going to be a terrible system. I, I mean, except for, I don't know, like, I guess fascism, that's intrinsically terrible. But you know what I mean? No, I, know. I mean, even a monarchy, right? If you have the right king or emperor or empress or queen, um, it, it, you could have a really good life if they're a benevolent person. Right, the myth of the benevolent dictator. Exactly. <laughs> um, Emphasis on myth. We want every leader to be Captain America and Superman, and they're always a Lex Luthor or a Red Skull. Speak for yourself. I want a Jean Grey in my life. All right, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I bet, I guess, yeah. in terms of personality, but, you know, oh, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. No, I want a Jean Grey, and I can't... Even, like, Lex Luthor in here seems less slimy than what we have. I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh, the thing is, as I read this, and I was like, oh, that's really not that bad anymore. I was like, <laughs> I was like this isn't really that bad. Brainwashing a child with superworms? I, I, I don't know. I think he'd stoop lower. I was like, you know what? At least he wasn't ripped out of the arms of his mother. <laughs> like, you know, so... Well, yeah, I mean, if we want to take this to its extreme, I think, you know, the difference between, say, the superheroes of Kingdom Come and uh, the government we're not so obliquely talking about right now is that the superheroes don't seem to care about humanity one way or another. Like, they're just not interested. You know, they're not paying attention to. Um, to show my politics a little bit, there seems our government seems to be directly interested in making at least the lives of some people significantly worse so the superheroes here are more negligent than anything else uh nobody's deporting anyone nobody is trying to roll back years of human rights uh whereas the government it's a little bit of a different story well couldn't you argue that the elite ruling class in america has just isn't concerned about us at all i don't think so just because they're concerned with using us as uh grist for the mill yeah. They're concerned you know, they're, with making sure we can lift things. Right, exactly. They're, they're concerned with us insofar as they don't want us to um, get in the way of what they want. And like I said, the government or the superheroes in Kingdom Come, I don't think they pass mine one way or another. 
And I think that kind of like, again, going back to like their original creations, like Superman was kind of a creation of like, I mean, specifically, you know, bigotry towards the Jewish community, um, like right. the suffering they face. But like, there was also a class element to him. Like, he's the working man's hero. What, which is a statement I would not say now about anyone, because the working man, a lot of them are kind of jerks. But you know, <laughs> like, but like the marginalized working man, like the person who's always like trying to do their best and like has to, you know, nail to the grindstone. And they're not like they're not actively making people's lives worse. Those people do deserve a hero, and Superman is literally the most powerful version of that. That's what he was intended mm-hmm. to be. And to a certain extent, all yeah. superheroes are at least all good superheroes where are supposed to be i was thinking that um in this story at least i mean at least in other stories we get our main perspectives through superman and various superheroes but in kingdom come our primary narrator narrator is norman mckay who's just an ordinary human so i find it interesting that in um at least the context of this story the main voice is of somebody who doesn't have any power Mm. you know yet they their voice ends up you know keeping superman from making his greatest mistake what did you think about all the twists and turns so one of the first ones that i really liked um is that for a minute it makes you think that superman is this deus ex machina in the first or second issue someone mentions maybe it's the narrator that he tries diplomacy and where diplomacy fails he then goes to violence as a last resort i thought that all of a sudden superman was going to be this deus ex machina character and he was going to make everything much easier and that it was super easy to convert everyone to his side by explaining stuff to him and then all of a sudden the story shifted and i totally got fooled uh superman seems to easily convert people out to his cause using diplomacy whenever possible and violence as a last resort is something like that even realistic and was it a bit deus ex machina for you until we find out the rest of it I mean, I don't think it's unrealistic. Like, like take Magog, for example. I don't think Superman, if he had just come... Like, if Magog hadn't been involved in the Kansas situation, he was just out doing his own dickish version of a superhero thing, his own anti-hero thing, let's just say. And Superman came up to him and been like, hey, want to join up? And Magog would have been like, no, and they would have fought. But because, like... Like, with the characters, a lot of the ones he recruits also are very, like, analogous for characters that were, like, main DC characters, and then the ones that he doesn't are the anti-hero characters, so there's, like, an obvious more divide there. Um, but, like... I don't think it's unrealistic because it's kind of like saying like if you're um if you're like a, a person who works in film and you're like you're having like a debate with someone else and then like someone like Steven Spielberg walks up to you and like he says something you're probably gonna listen to him no matter what it is I think that's kind of like the situation. I don't think it's unrealistic considering the context um and again is is that like the people who are already more primed to agree with him agreed with him and the ones who didn't didn't so i think it's actually very realistic like like he he didn't walk in and say murder skull bot 9000 want to join up and murder scott ball was like i just wanted to help people you know i don't know i think i think it's pretty fair yeah i guess for me it made a certain amount of sense that there would be people superman would be able to reach based on his words and reputation alone because that's who superman is you know, that that doesn't come out of nowhere. That's based on history that we have with the character, you know. So that's the difference for me. I mean, he obviously has qualms about himself, Superman. But does he really have the right to organize heroes willingly or to impose order, even if the world is in chaos, and even if he thinks it's, it's right? Is that even his place? And what I love about it is that he questions that himself. And I think that's one reason that makes him such a great character. that's such a difficult question because i think automatically we'd all be like yeah of course superman should you know decide where he's meant to be but then if you think about it then magog did the same exact thing and he took things on his own terms and he made decisions by what he believed to be right and 
he would kill based on who he believed needed to be killed. So objectively, or not objectively, just being biased and being pro-Superman, I'm like, yeah, of course he should have that autonomy and have that authority um, as a superhero and as a superhero who has done a lot of good for the world. Um, But then thinking of it in the grand scheme of things, what happens if he were to make that decision in the UN to kill everybody there? You know, that would have obviously been so catastrophic and then who knows what would have become of Superman. So I think that's such a hard question to answer because there's so many layers to it. I mean, I don't think Superman should have questioned himself. Um, Again, like I think the Spectre said in the story, that's his biggest shortcoming is that he loses faith in himself and um, and the symbol that he is. Uh, But again, to answer the other half of the question as to whether or not he should have that authority and should decide when he needs to be the one doing the saving and passing justice upon criminals, that's a much more complex question to answer. I totally agree with my take. Like, it's Superman or Captain America, like, it, either of those two, really. Like, if they say anything, I pretty much almost intrinsically am like, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Like, they, they do that because like, they have to. They know what's right. Like, they are the moral authorities of their own universes. But practically, we can't, like, just give absolute power to anyone. Like, that's a terrible idea. It's like, yeah, at a certain point, we superheroes shouldn't just be able to decide things on our own. And we kind of have to, like, work with humanity. It's like, again, it's not, it's not a black and white thing. And we're looking for, I think the problem is that we're all looking for a black and white answer to characters that we've seen deal with black and white situations that don't have easy answers. And I think that's what makes Kingdom Come such a good story is that it's very much a story. I mean, obviously, it's not realistic, but it could, if you could think of it in happening in our world. And that's what we've been touching on this whole time. And I think the beginning of the novel, the beginning of the story just shows what would happen if this were to be a realistic tale and you know what would happen if superheroes did exist and we gave them all this freedom and i feel like eventually it would just turn into catastrophe which obviously no one really wants to think in the context of superheroes because we think of them as these almighty beings who do good but um i think mark wade really grounds it through that perspective that's really cool and you know another cool twist i thought this had was that it kind of built itself up for magog to be the main villain of it and then magog is completely not the villain at all but before we discover that we find out that he went and he killed joker and he talks about himself as representing the will of the people you know the story presents him as wrong and and superman right and then it gets into the whole question of is the will of the people always right I think Magog's decision to kill the Joker and is, it, it is wrong for the exact same reasons that Superman's decision to almost kill the UN, UN were wrong. Like, the UN killed a whole lot of people on the suspicion. Like, bear in mind, like, obviously there were, like, some genuine criminals in that lot, but it's like, oh, man, the war is going to spill out and destroy everything. How do you know that? Like, you can't just make that decision. Like, and, and like, but Sir Superman had, like, a very emotional, visceral reaction to people's, like, to like to his own fears as well as other people's fears. So I think that's what Magog, like, is. And again, Civil War is kind of about this, not as well about this, I would argue. But, like, it's about people reacting in fear to something that causes harm, more harm than the thing. Well, granted, Joker did kill a lot of people, but still. Like, it, like the decision to turn away from that ideal of heroism, like, it got Parasite killed. And he wasn't trying to hurt anyone at the time. Like that's, I think that's a good example. Like they were like, yeah, it's, 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 again, it's like trying to have a black and white answer to a gray problem. Like maybe, maybe the Joker should have been, I don't know, like officially like put down, like a court of law comes to that decision. Fine. But like, 
not every super super villain should then be put down intrinsically. So like I think that's the issue is that like people like Magog and to a certain extent like Superman, all the classic heroes, just like had a one way of thinking about it. And I think to the end they kind of come to a multiple ways of thinking about it kind of conclusion. No, it's true because I mean this whole story is just built around gray areas because you think what exactly defines what's right, what defines the right form of justice depending on the criminal or supervillain and um going back to magog the first time i read it i actually barely noticed him which i know sounds really weird and maybe i totally missed it but um yeah the first time i read it i'm like is he the true villain of this story you know i mean he's done a lot of messed up things and obviously uh, um he's the one who catalyzed a lot of superman's isolation and a lot of the conflicts in the story um but i think on, in the grander scheme of things, the whole conflict revolves around these varying perceptions of justice. And ultimately, there's this, like how we've been talking about before, there's this ambiguity that lies in the story. And there's never really an answer that comes to that question of what is right? What is the limit that you should go to when you're, you know, as a superhero, when you're exacting justice on a criminal? So again, there's no black or white answer to that question, because it is subjective to every person who believes him to be believes themselves to be a hero and that's definitely not the most ideal um way to define justice um but it's the way the story presents that the will of the people yeah sure it can be wrong that's why we have majority rules but minority rights you know the the united states is built on the idea of uh we have certain things in place to stop um immediate overreactions Theoretically. Um, and as far as the story goes, you know, they both sort of spoke to it already, but uh, because you have the will of the people once doesn't mean it's continuous. You know, just because they supported your killing of the Joker doesn't mean every choice you make after that is uh, supported by them. You know, it's a constant, really renewing contract with the people. So I think. Yeah, you probably would have a bunch of people, a lot, or even the majority who would say, yeah, he's a terrifying person, he should have been killed. But that doesn't mean every step that Magog made after that they would have agreed with. And as Ward said, you know, the mistake they both make, both Superman and Magog make, is that they see that as, well, they made this decision, that's the way it's going to be from now on. As opposed to, this is one decision in one moment about one instance. Would Magog have been more right if he was considering how it affected people and it came from a place of him being a hero in the same way that Superman understands being a hero? Like, yes, two people might come to two different conclusions. I, I'm not sure that killing the Joker to if pretend the joker had lived and all of a sudden like you know my mother is like attacked by him or something you know i i would want i would be really upset with batman or magog or superman or whoever for not killing joker so i think that two people can reasonably come to two different conclusions and both be morally correct but is what makes their actions moral the fact that they take into consideration the fact that they are a hero and people like us. I mean, I think that it's kind of tricky because, like, what is justice is, like, I mean, we talk about, like, there's no, like, what is the right way to do that thing? But, like, also, like, like it, there's no way for Magog to have made the decision he made, like, as what we know of his character, at least, like, th this character specifically, for him to have not made that decision out of an emotional state that's, like, not necessarily rational. 
Like, like if a computer came up and like if Ultron fucking walked in and said, ah, Joker must die and zapped him and like, and be like, all right, so you're a villain in another universe. So that's creepy. But like outside of that, you know, um, it's like, it, it, that might be the logical emotional. Like uh, so I was talking about, like if a, if a court of law looked over the whole insanity thing, decided that didn't matter, uh, decided he needed to, to finally be dealt with. And that was the decision. Then, okay. I feel like Superman, like Superman wouldn't have busted and be like, no, he can't die. Like he would have uh, respected that. But it's the same situation with Magog. It's like he didn't let anyone decide. He decided. Like, he decided that this permanent thing, this taking of a life, is the right thing to do. But he, but, you know, and then now if you ask, if you could somehow ask Magog today, like, what he would have thought about that, I don't think he would have thought, thought the same thing. Well, my follow-up to that one is also about Magog, which is that he, in b- biblical stories that that name is tied to the apocalypse and i think it's very clear that that's what they're getting to here that magog represents a sort of apocalyptic moment but then all of a sudden you find out magog is suffering from the trauma of what he did even though he thought it was right and it's broken him, and and he even needs Superman to forgive him in, in a lot of ways, and he needs his absolution from him. So how do you think that turns the whole concept of the apocalypse on its head? I think that ties into the idea of reformation and redemption. I think because you initially you don't think that Magog is a character that is capable of that. Um, and I think that ties in also with Superman's idea and Batman's idea that I think one of the reasons why they refuse to kill is because they believe that people are capable of redemption, even people like the Joker. I forgot what story it was, but it was like if there's a Batman saying, I don't know if it's a movie or a comic book where he says if there's like a 1% chance of them changing, then I'm going to trust that that is like that's possible. So, yeah, I think that's a huge thematic element of Magog's character development. And um, even though that's not going to change anything he did, I think it's an ideal that that proves to actually be true i think oftentimes we think like no like these villains they're they're never going to change they're going to continue killing and then keeping them alive is just going to continue loss of life but um seeing magog redeem himself kind of proves that that's not exactly a wrong or idealistic way of living as a superhero and it also speaks to sort of the alternate meaning of apocalypse. We tend to think of apocalypse as, you know, the end of all that is. Um, but the traditional meaning is just a big change. Uh, so, you know, Magog is a harbinger of the apocalypse. He's the harbinger of a huge change twice now. Uh, first in the culture switching from Superman to him, and then in the return of Superman. That's a really good point. And and I feel like it plays more with that and our perception of that in a lot of ways, which is really cool. Can we talk about how some of people's favorite characters completely change in the story and we see them in completely different places? And the irony that, spoiler alert, Shazam is in a way the big villain of this in a lot of ways accidentally through whatever that latin phrase is non copus mentis or whatever like it's not his fault he's clearly been traumatized and 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 brainwashed and where's my question uh as you search for it i'm just gonna enter like you don't listen to what i say look for your question but i'm just gonna say for future reference uh if we're referring to billy batson's character in this we will call him captain marvel 
because oh, why is his name not Shazam? Uh, but his name is Shazam. Captain All right, so it's time for a history lesson. Shazam now, though. It is Shazam now. It is know, Shazam in, this, now. in this story, it's Captain. That's true. Oh, that's sorry. a problem. Yeah, and I—that is the line I cross. I already hate that his name is Shazam, but I will call him that in like the movie and stuff <laughs> and all the new material. But I will not not call him Captain Marvel in this. That is my that's line. That's fair in this context. Well, but his name is Shazam. Well, the thing is, is like. I keep whenever I see Shazam, I think of Austin Powers three and Beyonce being like Shazam. So it was like really hard at the end of this comic. I mean, I was really into it, and I was like reading it in a different way. But did I have to catch myself not be like Shazam? Yes, it happened every time. Then he kept repeating it, and I just kept hearing her sing it and like scream it. And it brought me back to Austin Powers three, and then people were messaging me, and it was really hard to stay in focus. But I did, and it was really beautiful. Um, but uh yeah so my question is anyway how did you react to how some of the characters are so wildly different to how they are in main dc continuity which has also changed so much since this point um but i was really shocked by shazam i was really shocked by martian manhunter which i thought was like super 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 sad of course he wouldn't give up and he would give all that he is to other people because he's like the freaking coolest guy ever uh wonder woman is another example um you know she was obviously extremely disillusioned and affected by our world in the way that the Amazons didn't like. So who did you guys have big reactions to? I have so many thoughts about Wonder Woman. And especially because, like, the first time I remember reading this, I was just like, this is, like... like it, it, at first, I was like, oh, man, even in a good story, they don't know how to write this character. You know, that was my, like, gut reaction. I was like, oh, man, they, they don't get it, you know? Like, they get Superman, they get Batman, they get Martian Manhunter, they get the Spectre. Like, they do all these interesting things with them. I'm just like, Wonder Woman just made her a jerk. Then I took a, like, during my, like, later reads, I was like, oh, no, now I get it, you know? She, like, this, it, again, like, I have no idea if they somehow knew, but, like, what happens in Wonder Woman in this story is exactly what happens to Wonder Woman during, like, from her inception to right now, except she didn't learn a lesson by the end of it. Like, is, like, the current story of Wonder Woman, at least I feel, maybe not her most recent stuff, but, like, a lot of her uh, stories... It's just the story of a person who is born into war instead of learning how to love, giving into war. Like the, the the whole purpose of Wonder Woman in her inception is like you know it, it's like we're making a superhero who's, who you know who's a girl. It's like all right, but she has to be about love, and instead of making that like frou frouy and sissy, they made it badass. Like she makes love badass, and in this story, it just feels like they gave into the badass in this parts at first. That was my problem with it. Then I thought about it like what she like lost by like losing her access to her family. And like losing her purpose in a world, a world that, and let's be like, if we're being very real here, is very patriarchal, very shitty, especially for a superhero who like has to embody like the antithesis of that. Like that's a lot of pressure on her shoulders. And like, so I understand it, it made a lot of decisions and things she said a lot more contextual. And also it didn't help that she had to bounce off Superman, who was the iconic superhero and seeing like how different she was to her character and to him by comparison made it kind of like hard to see what they were doing with her at first but i think what they did with her was like it was like the crux of the story like they had like i i appreciate the story so much more after seeing it that like through what she was going through i liked uh billy batson's role as ultimately the most corrupted of the heroes because it made a sort of sense to me that he was he would have been literally the youngest uh, and therefore the most vulnerable when Superman pulled away. And, you know, sort of in a meta commentary way, he's also the most similar to Superman. You know, that's the reason he is in DC Comics now is because DC was able to sue Fawcett for him being too similar to Superman. Uh, so I liked that space that he occupied as 
the one who was the most left behind when Superman left. He had no place now with the classic heroes because they weren't there anymore. And Billy Batson could never fit in with the new generation. So it makes sense that he would have been easy to manipulate and coerce because he was just looking for a place to belong. Yeah, and going off of that, I think that's why he's arguably the most tragic character in this story because, hey, I mean, you know, Lex Luthor basically brainwashes him and makes him believe that the superheroes are evil and he himself like Tim said doesn't have a place in the world anymore and then as soon as he kind of breaks out of that um, manipulation he immediately goes into hero mode and sacrifices himself to save Superman's life and I think that's it's such a tragic moment because you remember that he was a kid when he was you know when he first got his power or you know first was able to become Captain Marvel and such so I think it, it is kind of unnerving to see um, characters like him and Superman just outside of the state we usually see them in. And I think that's one of the hardest things to get used to in this story is that these heroes aren't, we, we don't exactly know them as well as we think we do in the context of the story. That's just what makes it a good story is because it, it takes risks in that. Um, because we don't, it's not like we want to see Superman isolating himself. We don't want to see Wonder Woman killing people. We don't want to see Billy Bastion not himself, you know? Um, we don't want to see him die, you know, moments after he finally regains control of who he is. You know, because in that moment, you think, oh, maybe he'll fight alongside Superman and they'll save the world and everyone's going to live, but that doesn't happen at all. Like, in fact, he sacrifices himself and people still die. It's not exactly, you know, the most... I don't know. I mean, obviously it's tragic either way if he were to die and people still survived, but he died and people still died. So um, in that aspect, it's really unnerving, but at the same time, that's exactly what makes it such a unique story. That's one thing I really liked about this work is that it seemed like so many people were suffering from self-loathing and stuff like brainwashing and their own actions. I, you know, I thought it really added to... Uh, all the all the layers of the story. Maite, did you have did you have a character that you were struck by in terms of how different they were in this story and normal DC continuity? I mean, obviously Superman, but we've talked a lot about him. Um, but also Batman. We haven't really talked about Batman too no, much. No, we have not. Yeah. For once, a DC thing where Batman was not the main focus. Wow, that's refreshing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if you think about it, it it, it was really as i said before unnerving to see him on opposite sides of the table from superman and working alongside lex luther and other various supervillains in the dc universe um you know because his ideals totally changed so that was very strange to see and also it was strange to see how he was depicted too artistically how he had aged a lot and um you know he wasn't able to I mean, I don't even know what he had on his body. It looked like these sort of, uh, I don't know, something that's like... Super crutches. Yeah, like <sighs> hardcore crutches because, you know, and that's like a reminder of his humanity um, and how, you know, all these other heroes, they have also aged in this world physically and um, by the way they were viewed, but, you know, Superman still looked pretty, you know, good and he wasn't, you know, bound by these ridiculous crutches um so it was odd to see bruce wayne's a aged and b just kind of changing the way he viewed the world and superheroes and changing the way he viewed people that he worked alongside for so long 
and also like speaking about Batman, I think because that I because I talked about Wonder Woman because that was like such a sharp contrast because that's I had like such a thought like a wrong thought in my head when I first read it. But Batman, I I did kind of I did appreciate it again more like as I read again. Um, but that character. I think they did such a good job of portraying him as the like the guy who, who like the guy like the guy in the wall guy who knows everything and also at the same time like no one hero other than I guess maybe Billy Batson at the end was one hundred percent right like Billy Batson was wrong prior to that but like he was brainwashed so we can't really blame that on him you know um, but like Batman like 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 the, the, like to see him say like you know maybe the the metahumans should wipe each other out is such like a weird thing to hear. Like that was like one of the biggest indicators that like something was not right. It also didn't help that Gotham was literally being policed by robots that only he controlled that we saw to arrest two people who I didn't see them do anything wrong. Um, so there's definitely some, there's definitely something there as well. Um, but like with the way in Superman, like we, we, like I wasn't at all surprised when he did like the heel turn. He's like, no, I actually am not on your side. Lex Luthor. I was like, yeah, I could have seen that coming. But then when Superman still chewed him out and like reminded him of who he is, like that is a, a fantastic scene, not just because I like seeing Superman shoot Batman out, but also just because it's like it was a humbling moment for him too. So when he returns and he's like, uh, like sort of like phys- um, philosophically opposing Wonder Woman, like that's a different character than what we saw at the beginning. Not just because it's not like what he was trying to hide from us and by extension the characters he was interacting with, but like just he was not himself either. And I feel like that might be like when people are talking about like things they didn't appreciate when they first read. I feel like a lot of people might miss that. Because it's like the kind of like, like, because he's the badass normal, you know, like everyone loves him. But like, I feel like that means sometimes people think he can be infallible. And I think the general lesson from this is that all like none of these guys are supposed to be infallible. Even the one who's literally indestructible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I like the path that Batman takes because it makes sense. He's a control freak. And the less he can control himself by physically being on the scene, the more he overcompensates with the robots. So, you know, the things that Batman might not have cracked down on when he was physically able to run through the alleys. Now, you know, two kids who, like you said, we don't see them doing anything wrong, but at most they've done a petty crime because of the context, um, get chased down by a giant metallic bat. Um, It's not because he is suddenly a fascist. It's because he is overcompensated so hard that, you know, the humanity has left the, the production of justice in Gotham. Um, the one that always gets to me is Martian Manhunter. I mean, his story is essentially uh, vicarious traumatization writ large. You know, he opens himself up to all the pain and humanity and it ravages him. And uh, I mean, that's just tragic on its face. But again, uh, I feel like I always mention this, but as a therapist, you know, that's that's the fear is that you spend so much time helping others that eventually it breaks you. And you see that literally with Martian Manhunter is that he's, he's wrung out. He's, you know, from inside, he's been ripped apart. Which is a perfect place for me to ask if that is what you found the most moving about this, because I want to ask everyone what moved them the most about kingdom come. I mean, the, for me, it's the obvious one. It's Norman taking human or being able to see, be seen again and arguing for humanity for the saving of humanity and not, you know, against Superman's rage, essentially. That might've been my answer. And that's a really good answer. So I'm not mad you stole it. This scene that I remember like literally like, cause that like that moment, like is so impactful, but I think the thing that was like so subtly moving, the one that just got to me, was like in the very end when they're in the diner and they're all having like their little like sit down and like, they're just pretend again, not pretending, but they are being able to be human again. 
Um, and like Batman and Superman are like having like the sort of not, not quite a discussion, not quite an argument. They're just having their back and forth. And then Superman just ends it by like he's talking to Batman. He's just like, I can't, I can't, I'm going to butcher this, but it's something like long. It's something to the, to the effect of like um, trust is a part of uh, is not a part of your world, but is a part of mine. And I've never trusted anyone more than you. And I always have. And then Batman gets up and hugs him. Like, think about that. Like Batman. Like everyone portrays him as this like emotionless hard ass, and he gets up to hug a guy. Like that is ev- like to me that was like everything. Like 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 you read all these stories about them being on opposing sides of something, and this is the one story where at the end I was like, you know what? It's fine that they weren't in agreement because they got back to where they were, which is like something I've been waiting for DC for do to so- for so long to get to see these two like reconcile, and like it like that was like that was like my emotional like thank you thank you thank you Alex Ross and. Everyone who's involved, uh, you don't know what you've done for me. You've added 10 years to my life. Yeah, I agree with all those points uh, for sure. Though I also just love how they depict these heroes as um, their vulnerabilities and their shortcomings. Because so often we think of these superheroes as gods and capable of making impossible choices and overcoming any obstacle. Um, But in this story, there's choices that they can't really make. And there's choices that come at great cost no matter what direction they choose so i like how we got to see those situations and i like how we got to see them battle these vulnerabilities within themselves we got to see superman at his lowest point um but despite that all these heroes find like find their way back to who they are and who they've always been and i i like that we see these redemption arcs and i like that we see this hopefulness even though it's a story rooted in tragedy What's everyone's favorite line from the book? Like, what's the one that, like, for whatever reason, like, like resonated with you the most? I mean, I love the context Shazam takes on. You know, that it becomes this weapon. Uh, I think that's a really, obviously, dark turn for the term. But it takes this sort of very silly word and makes it the most dangerous word in the entire universe. That's a great bit of storytelling. And this is also why I wanted to make it distinct that we call him Captain Marvel, because you just said, I really just like the, the context Shazam took on. I'd be like, the character? Like, what do you mean? You know, so like, right, that's why enough. it was dumb for them to change it. And sorry, this is such a positive, nice podcast, and I already ruined it. Um, <laughs> Justin, did you have a favorite line? I have a favorite image, I guess. Or not a, I, I can't say favorite because I have so many favorites, but um, one of them is when Captain Marvel first comes into the fight at the end, and he's like, trying to kill superman and it says by a single bolt of lightning armageddon has arrived and it's just this image of captain marvel towering over superman Mm. and it's so intimidating and so off-putting but it's so beautifully drawn and it's it's a very powerful image i think it's uh it's riveting especially with that smile because like that the the way they portray that is very yeah it's very like it's uncanny because it's very much like the old design that the character would be like that big bright teeth like you know all white like they wouldn't even draw like the line between the teeth it'd just be like a big white gap but it'd be like friendly looking because he was cutely drawn and here it's horrifying um my favorite line is when superman are and uh wonder woman they're outside in space talking um and she's like arguing like maybe occasionally they might have to cross the line they've always been afraid to cross and he says given who we are given the power we possess we have a greater obligation to keep the peace only the weak succumb to brutality like that last part of it particularly like i'm like whoa that is the coolest way to argue for pacifism i've ever heard like holy crap you know like and also it's it's like even the symbolism behind it because like he lets go the lasso of truth right when he says the last part so you're wondering like does he he believe that was that deliberate like 
there's so much in this book that's so like makes you question things and not in a way like is like oh is killing right or wrong like the like the obvious ways that like when stuff tries to make you question things it does like this actually like leaves you wondering and leaves you like with things you want to know more about like in the best way possible To me, this is utterly and completely a masterpiece. I'm so glad it won an Eisner Award. The art to me is as perfect as art can be. I love the writing. They go together so perfectly with all the other elements that make it such an amazing comic. But I think what I love most about this is that you can pick this up in 2018, like I did today, and it makes such a comment about the world that is as fresh as I'm sure it did in 1996. And how many comics are there from 1996 or from 2006 or 2016 that can do the same thing? And there's, in my opinion, not many. However, for me, what I found to be the most moving was Magog's breakdown because I was so set up for him to be this guy who just doesn't get it and who is, you know, obsessed with his own power and... Uh, and, and in fact, his emotional armor is really from the pressure and burden of living with what he did. And I, I, I kind of think that that's, that's a beautiful thing. When they transition Magog, like when they like introduced him in the main DC universe, like they have not done him the justice, justice, haha, that they did in this series. Like, like if like if you would like if I had somehow just like I had seen this book and someone said hey Magog's also in like the main universe I'd be like whoa really like oh I'm so excited and then I'd read it and be like oh he hasn't actually changed from when he starts out in the story because like the the character growth for him is so fascinating and that breakdown is like the it is it's not for me like my favorite part but it is definitely un unquestionably the most tragic part I think for me like obviously aside from what happens to Billy but like just like watching his his emotional armor like you said get stripped away. The, like the way his scene like his whole build up like he's like trying to like trying to fix Kansas like after it exploded and then like this like there's still like that hubris to him and then like Superman and him talking he lashes out Superman doesn't fight back but also can't be destroyed no matter what he does he can't like stop him which also I think is like kind of like like when you look back at how he, like, how he tried to challenge him for the role Superman wouldn't have needed to have killed the guy to stop him like he can't super, he can't hurt Superman like he showed that but, like, I think that was, like, for him, the ultimate breakdown of what he thought he was. Like, I think he genuinely believed that he was, like, the the best hope for humanity in his own life. Well, like, all the other, like, anti-hero characters seem to just be, like, reckless and jerks who just wanted to fight for the fun of it. I think on some level, he genuinely believed he was, like, looking out. Like, he he was, in his own mind, a genuine hero. And then seeing how his actions, like, wrought all this and his emotional breakdown is, like, probably, like, definitely, like, one of the most chilling things I've ever seen. My last question is, who would you recommend this to? Because so much of this is who the characters are and you recognize who they are now versus where they are in typical or where they are in DC continuity. Would this have the same effect on 
a non DC comics fan, someone who, you know, isn't aware of all the nuance and the relationships between Batman and Superman and stuff like that. And if not, who would you recommend it to? Cause it's, it's a classic. It's an amazing work of art. I would tend to recommend it to the 13 year old who's started for the first time to have those sort of like Batman should just kill the Joker complaints. <laughs> I like you. You have, you have good thoughts. <laughs> Thank you. I always think of these question or this question in the context of me and my sister because my sister doesn't really read comic books, but if I recommend one to her, she'll read it. Um, so with that being said, she doesn't obviously keep up with a lot of these characters. So would I recommend this to her? I mean, I would want to because it's such a classic and it's an incredible story, but I think I would want her to read other stories with these characters to get an understanding of them outside of the story so that when she does read kingdom come she kind of understands um just how tragic and just how different the world is and how strange it is to see these heroes that we have come to love in this world that is an interesting question because i think about like for me whenever i'm like thinking about like who would i want to show something to i always ask would my parents understand like um after uh, I edited an article of Maite's about Batman The Long Halloween, which offered a really interesting perspective about how it was like very similar to The Godfather. I'm like, hey, my dad like loves The Godfather. That's his favorite movie. And also, Batman is... No one has not heard of him. My dad probably even like would recognize a couple of the villains. That's easy. But like if I was like, this is a great story. I want to show it to people. Even if they are familiar with Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, I feel like that's really all you do need to know to get this story. I feel like the main people you would introduce this to other than like the, the the best answer that was already given about like introducing 13 year olds i feel like if you just have a willingness to accept these stories as they are and enjoy them for what they're trying to tell you don't need to know every single detail you just need to you just need to accept the tale being told to you that being said if no one had ever like this is like 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 it's such a good story but like you this is not basic level like in, like it's not like if you're trying to show someone what makes comics great you do not show them this story you show them justice, also drawn by Alex Ross. All right, cool. I think that's going to do it for this conversation. Thank you guys seriously so much for uh, being here. And um, it was awesome to talk about this. Um, so, yeah, more podcasts like this on comicsverse.com. Please be sure to check them out. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. <laughs>